This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, Shane Told, as I take you into conversations that I have with other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band. Today, we have a New York hardcore legend, Mr. Roger Moret of Agnostic Front. Why am I going insane? Why am I? Roger should need no introduction. He's one of the founding fathers of New York hardcore. But if you're not familiar with Agnostic Front, their music, or his story, it's definitely unique. Uh, Roger was born in Havana, Cuba. Uh, His family moved to New York City when he was a kid. Um, He faced tremendous amount of abuse. He was living on the streets for a while. And as Agnostic Front, you know, became a bigger and bigger band, he actually had to go to prison for drug trafficking for a number of years. Also, despite being of Cuban descent, Agnostic Front was often aligned with white supremacist Nazi skinhead fan base, which is totally, totally insane and something that they were fighting off for years. So there's so much here to talk about. And of course, we couldn't get to anything. Luckily, Roger has a brand new book. It's called My Riot, Agnostic Front, Grit, Guts, and Glory. It is out now. I have read it. It's tremendously interesting. It's such a great book. So make sure after you listen to this, you go and check that out. So a couple weeks back, I gave Roger a call, and the first thing I asked him was where he got the idea to write the book. Well, I mean, I got to get credit where credit is due when it comes to where how it started. You know, um, Lars Fredrickson from Rancid, we were doing we were in the middle of doing a record, which is Right Right Upstart, back in nineteen, uh, maybe it was in ninety eight, I think, and we we're in the studio. And you know, Lars stayed with me for three weeks in New York City, and we just just talk about the the old days, you know, yeah. and then we, and then we go to the studio, and we all just me and Vinny and Rob and all of us just shoot the shit. He's like, man, Roger, you got some great stories. You, you need to write a book. You know what? You need to start now, just like that. 
He goes, we're going to go right now. We're going to get a little tape player, and you're gonna, we're going to record all your stories. And that's how it started, me talking to a little tape player. And wow, that was a, wow. a, that, that was a pure inspiration of it all. And I went through a couple, you know, then I had then I started producing bands, and I had them take all, the, all these little tapes and put them into, transcript them into like these, uh, what they call floppy disks. Remember those floppy disks? Of course, Big of disks. course. And I still have those floppy disks, which is crazy. And then, you know, printed a couple of stuff, but I didn't print, I didn't get to print at all. And then I lost it twice. I lost it during the World Trade Center and I lost it somewhere else. And so I switched to Macs. I, like, I can't keep getting viruses. I'm losing everything. It's starting all over. Wow. So to make the long story short, move over here to Arizona. And, uh, and then me and my wife started having kids. So that slowed down the process. Sure. We started doing the film. And when I was doing the film, the, 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 uh, Godfathers of Hardcore that's coming it's probably be released by the end of the year too okay uh, Ian's like oh, well let me you know show me some of the book stuff you have you know and I showed it to him he goes wow this is amazing Roger you gotta you, you know I have someone who could help you I was like oh you know alright you know I, I, he, he's I'll tell him I'll entertain him but I don't know if I want any help sure as hell next thing you know I got a call from John who's has been nothing but the greatest and uh, he says hey Ian just told me you got some great stuff. You, you know, I like to help you. You know, can you send me stuff? I want to. Re- I want to read. It. And I said to stuff. He goes, "Wow, this is really cool. This is great. I really want to help you." And then I told him the same thing. I told Ian, "I'm like, no, I got to do this. You know, something I want to do myself." You know. So that was about six years ago. I'm sorry. Wow. Then when we started working on a film again, um, out of nowhere, John hit. Uh, hit me up again. He goes, Hey Roger, did you ever finish that book? He goes, mm-hmm. he goes I like, you know, where are you on? I want to see where you're on it. And I was like, you know what, John, I didn't do shit. <laughs> you know, the kids touring, blah, sure. blah, blah. I didn't, you know, and I was like, you know what? I could really appreciate if you help me out. And then he took whatever I had, put it in some kind of an order. And then we started filling in the gaps and then we started going further and filling in the gaps. And another two years later, here we are. And that's how it became what it became. Wow. Jeez. Um, so, yeah, when you finally, I mean, first of all, I've got to ask you about the World Trade Center. You say you lost it in the World Trade Center. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, when the World Trade Center happened, you know, everybody wanted to know what the hell was going on. So you start downloading everything and reading everything on the computers, you know, blah, blah. Next, you know, there were viruses being spread, sent around everywhere. Oh, wow. And then I had it on my laptop and I had it backed up on my, on my uh, regular computer and I used to plug them in at night together, blah, blah, blah. And of course, I must have opened something up that was some, some horrible virus right. or whatever. Sure. And it ate both. It ate on both, you know? Yeah. And yeah. and then I, the second time, I I bought this thing called Naturally Speaking Dragon. Are you familiar with that? No. It was a program you could buy back in like in 2002. It was shortly right after that. And I had to train this, my computer to actually recognize my voice. Oh, okay, wow. And it took it took like a month and a half for the computer to finally rec- I would I would read to it like a child. The the program you would they'll give you stuff to read and then you go back and it would type a few because that's what I want. I want something that would type for me because I can't stand typing, you know. Sure, of course. And then it would, it would type this crazy shit in the very beginning like how do you say any of that, you know? <laughs> so it took a month and a half to train my computer for this. Wow, that's so weird. Yeah. I went I remember going on vacation and just 
reading and reading and reading. I mean, it's it's just random stuff they give you that make you read till they recognize your voice, you know. Uh, so then, same thing happens. I got you know you know I'm you know, doing reg just on the internet, doing business or whatever is going on. Is I got a virus again? Boom! Every all those all that got and I didn't have that backed up. Had it on the laptop and all that went to hell too. So it was very frustrating. Just keep starting over, you right? Know? But I guess I guess like the the action of putting it down. You know, even if even if it was you know years and years before, I think. Just the action of 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 remembering it, saying it, or typing it, whichever way you did it, is enough right. to kind of jog your memory. So you know it's still fresh. Uh, because yeah. that always happens. Like I read these books, whether it's you know uh, John Joseph's book or uh, the you know the No Effects book that came out um, or your book, and I'm just like I think to myself, how the fuck do people remember this shit? Like some of the stuff well, you're talking about is like you know forty years ago. Well, you know what else too really helped tremendously was amazing is I, I, I when you see the heart the movie you'll you'll figure you'll you'll you put one and one together, but there were a couple items I've had forever uh, that I've just traveled with forever, and you know it's, it's kind of like memory chests. I had a couple memory chests basically that's what they were, and you know just just dragged it along for all these years. I don't know why, you know, just dragged it all these years. Yeah. And start, starting this film, uh, you know, Ian got me to bring this treasure chest first to CBGB's a long time ago in 2001 of them. I bought the CBGB's in 2006, right before, 2006, right before it closed. Uh-huh, or yeah. maybe 2005 when we shot that last, uh, CBGB's video thing. Yeah, he shot. I bought one there, and he was like, "Holy shit, Roger!" And then I showed him everything. He was like, "Holy shit, you kept all this stuff," and I did. So going through all these memories, I did it again over here when he came to do the film. I had another chest, and it just flood. I mean, it's it's amazing because I could pick up a flyer or something and remember something, and it was just I've had all that stuff to for direct contact, direct memories. I could just pick this up and be, and all of a sudden I get a f- flashback of fucking crazy stories, you know. So that's that helped tremendously that I had all this stuff in hand, including my old T-shirts, my old punk bracelets, all my flyers, all my posters, all my records. You know, all this stuff really helped tremendously with yeah. my my rec- brain recognition. But I did I did find something very interesting along the path of writing this book, and I never thought about it. It was a there was a time where I wanted to Amy to make sure everything that I had written was okay, you know, because you know just okay by her, you know, because you know, we did have a child together, blah blah blah, you know. Yeah, of course. And then I sent her. She goes, okay, send me the send me the stuff. So I sent her, and the first thing she said, and the first text she sent me was, "It's funny how we remember things differently." I was oh like, yeah, right. I was like, "What do you mean?" And she goes, well, "I remember something. I remember different about when we met." And, <laughs> And I was like, what do you mean? It's just, it's just weird that those, these are just my memories. I could have been in a room with you or anybody else. Yeah. And we were, and you would remember something completely different than I did. So that was just mind blowing. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, you're right. These are just my memories. You know, like the, you, not everybody has the exact same memories. So then I started doing some, you know, having conversations with video and recording. Of course. Too, yeah. About the same, some of the same situations and boom, all his memories came to light, stuff that he remembered, which helped in the book tremendously. And the same thing, same thing happened with Amy. She 
came back with some feedback and she like added candy to it, you know, like remember Absolutely. this and this, and then we did this. Uh, and it was just amazing. It was like just a little bit of a little tweak here and there. And, and that's how it came to be. Well, it's amazing. You know, you tell like, it's human nature to do some exaggeration when you tell a story, right? I think, I think everybody does that up to a point. And it's funny when you, you start to, you know, something happens and then over the years you tell the story over and over again. And sometimes you don't know where it actually, you know, started and where it ended up, which is also a funny thing, right? And and then certain details get glossed over and some of the details are actually important, you know? So that is a totally interesting thing. Well, you know what else too is like some of the details after so many years, so some of the stories are just not real, you know, like, like you know, you've heard like there's that chapter. Not not that they're not real; they're just overblown, overproportioned. Yes, it's made out yes. to be like something like, "Hey, look, it was just a little thing right here." Now it's just you guys are making out to be like the grand <laughs> quarrel of, the, of of ages. You know, like the, the Boston <laughs> New York quarrel thing. It it did exist. It was brief. Yeah. But it wasn't like what people thought it was, you know. And and just clearing up some of the crazy stuff was really cool because I, I, you know, I, I I went in and made sure I cleared up. When I when I got into my stories, I wanted to make sure like some of the stuff I've heard over the years, like that's that where'd you get that from? That's insane, you know. It was kind of cleared up, you know. Absolutely, no, that's that's totally um, totally awesome. Yeah, well, you've been talking about this film a lot, uh, Godfathers of Hardcore, uh, which is basically, as far as I know, I don't know. I mean, you can explain what it's about, but it's basically just a documentary about you and Vinny. Uh, is that correct? It's a documentary on the whole band, really, but it's, oh, okay. it focuses it focuses on on me personally, Vinny personally, our lives separately, and our lives collectively as agnostic front. It's not like your VHS one documentary. It's very it's a very beautiful film to watch. It's very cinematic. It's very deep. It's very emotional. It's it's very genuine. It's it's it's, it's a beautiful film, and then of course it's really cool super early, 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 earliest stuff that you've probably, people have never, obviously people have never seen vintage foot, footage, right. uh, foot, because I had some really cool early footage from the, us at the A7 club. I had all that stuff on, on, you know, video, you know what I mean? And I had all these gems. Like I was telling you, I had this chest of gems, you know, and I've had all this stuff. So it's, it's really pretty cool. You know, it's, um, it's different, but it's. Uh, I think it, it complements the book tremendously, and it's weird because you, you know, like my book's finished, and I saw the film, and I was like, "Wow, these two almost walk hand in hand." Yeah, of There's course. one major thing I purposely left out of my book, and it's it's pretty much the grand finale of the film. And then when John also saw it too, he's like, "Hey, why was Roger? Why didn't you ever tell me about this stuff? You know, we wow. talked about everything else." Why? I said, "Well, because I had told Ian." Uh, I wouldn't tell nobody. I kept my secret. You know, I mean, I kept my promise, you know? Is it weird, like, you know, going through your whole life and, and, yeah, you've kept secrets, you've kept things you've never talked about, you've kept things, you know, buried deep inside you, you know, some of the stuff in your book, you know, about the abuse you faced, uh, you know, at the hands of, of your, you know, your stepfather and stuff. Uh, like, how hard was that for you to share with people? Um, was it therapeutic um, at all? Or is it something that you've talked very, about over the years? It was very therapeutic to get stuff out. Yeah. And then as you keep talking about it, you know, you keep you keep reminiscing on it. You know, just the other day I was having um lunch with my wife and really literally just like two or three days ago 
and I just had I had a flashback memory back to my Christmas when I was uh, I think I was twelve or thirteen, and I remember going into the city. I was living in, in Union City at the time, and I went to the city because because I wanted a boombox, and boomboxes <laughs> were just starting to come in. You know, yeah. you know, just giant one speaker like boombox cassette. Um, yeah, sure. Flash. It was one of the cassette ones were just it was cassette V of uh eight tracks, you know, the combination. Oh wow, okay. And I rem- and I remember my stepfather taking me to Fourteenth Street, New York City. That's where all the electronics place spots were, right before Christmas, going shop to shop to shop finding one that I liked. So not every memory was horrible, you know what I mean? Right. And I told her, I said I said, you know what, you know what's really funny about it is it's not a, it wasn't a bad memory. It was actually a good memory. And some of this book has triggered what, not triggered. It's not the right word, but I mean, what has, you know, like also, you know, it's not as bad as most of the bad parts are in a book, of course, but there were some good memories too. And I didn't know, I didn't feel them till after I released the bad ones. It's weird. It is. It is weird um, how that how that yeah. stuff happens, you know. But like, yeah. I mean, I think people want to look back at their lives and and I don't know. I mean, you want to laugh at the good parts and you want to laugh at the bad parts because now you're okay. You know what I mean? Now it's like, okay, I'm doing well in my life. I have these memories. I have these stories, and I learned from but them, the and more, I am the person exactly, I am today. Exactly. And the best, the most important part is, you know, is like you could either continue that that chain of destruction or do what I did. I broke it. You know, I broke the link, broke the chain. And I, I decided at a very young age anyway, I knew it. I decided that I wasn't going to be anything like that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that was a decision I made and I stuck to, you know, it's an easy pattern. A lot of people just fall into it. It's a comfort pattern. It's all they're used to and they're comfortable at it. And it's, attention that the only way for them to get attention you see it's a pattern that happens clearly over and over and over so it's just either you want to end it and move forward or you want to live in it you know absolutely man absolutely um uh, it's it's just yeah your book is your book is awesome it's it's real crazy and it's really insightful and um you know one thing i wasn't sure if you were going to talk about in the book and you do bring it up is your time in prison uh and that's you know, a crazy time in your life. It it basically was in the peak of your career, pretty much, with Agnostic Front, and you went away for a couple of years, and you did time for a drug trafficking car, uh, drug trafficking uh, charge. I'm sorry, and um, you don't hold back talking about that. No, you know why? You know what's what's the point? You know, if I'm gonna talk about it, you know. Um, um, again, very therapeutic again, because there's a lot of, it's just, a, I'm a very personal person. I don't like to, I've, I've never been like, you know, like you, you, you know, even when you go to shows like, you know, Vinny's the guy that talks to everybody. He's the, he's kind of a mascot, you know, Vinny's <laughs> just Vinny, you know, and right. I've always been an in, more of an introverted person, more of a personal person. And I guess that's what makes this book really, really interesting. Cause I'm, I've always been, the, the guy that doesn't say or speak much besides what's in my lyrics yeah. that maybe you want to know about because I am the lead singer of the band and, and I'm, I've never been much of, uh, of any, into much of any of the dramas behind the scenes and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Sure. So 
that's what makes it kind of interesting. At the same time, people know I've experienced what I've experienced. I mean, look, think about it. We're talking about what happened in that specific prison stuff. I, I one thing that that was super positive that ever came out of that was the album One Voice. One Voice, the whole album front to back has to do with me. Why I went to prison, me in prison, me coming out of prison. It's 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 it's, it's my. I've always told everybody, it's my. Pink Floyd, The Wall, <laughs> my uh, Who, Quadrophene, if you know what I mean. When right, it's, sure. it's, it's like it's like a base an album that's got it's based on one thing. We I've never done that in any other record. Every other record's it's got it's got a lot of different topics about all different stuff. But one voice is a, could be a movie, could be a, you know could be that Quadrophene, it could be that. You know the wall because it's one giant story lyrically from yeah, start yeah. to concept end. a concept album yeah absolutely. concept and everything so I've kind of said everything I wanted to say in that release in that album in right. many years ago you know and then I kind of put it all behind me but no, now that's, that's great now, right and now here I am and and giving you more insight to some of the same some of the stories because. So those stories I wrote about some of that stuff, it's clearly like you read New Jack and you could read my book and you're like, holy shit, he has been touching up on this stuff, but lightly. So here I am, you know, I, I got to really talk more about it in depth about stuff and actually more in depth about being there and the circumstances of what, what it was like, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and the, the plain simple fact that my survival instincts from living on the streets or what I picked up you know, from my stepdad, you know, toughening me up and getting me ready for whatever the world, that's the way he thought right. of doing it, was was really super helpful being in, in, in incarcerated because it didn't, you know, being in there didn't really, uh, not really shock me. It really didn't, it didn't bother me, as crazy as it is to say. What bothered me was the people I was hurting while I was in there suffering or not knowing what was going on. That was what got to me, but I could have, I mean, being in there the time, it wasn't hard for me to do because of my past experience, you know, I knew, I knew this, most of the, the laws of the streets and they are also the same laws of being incarcerated. Now, right. if you go in there and you never knew any of that, that's when you have a tough time. Like you have to figure it out, but I already had figured it out many years ago, but being the, the, the part that I never figured out was what my mom was going to go through or what Amy right. or my daughter was going to go through. That's when all the selfishness kind of, when I figured it out that I was very selfish and very, very awful of me to do that to them, you know, cause I knew I could deal with what I did to myself, you know? So that was the difference, you know? And I, and, and, uh, that was very important for me to get across. And I hope I got that across in a book too. No, I think so. I mean, I, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's great that you spell it out. It's funny. Yeah. You talk about, uh, one voice in that album, you know, and it's as a songwriter, I'm sure you know, like you can th you can think, you can write a song, and you can think you're spelling it out in the lyrics, and people still don't fucking know what it's about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, it's, and let it, me tell you something. In our case, in an agnostic front, it's been the story of our life. Like, do you right. not read lyrics? You know. But anyway, yeah, I get you. Yeah, I do get you. Some a lot of times, music changed, and especially in the hardcore and punk and all that stuff. It, it like there was so so much value and meaning of what you're of the lyrics. The lyrics were the most the most important part of everything. Then all of a sudden became the music being the most important thing. Like, could you feel this groove? Can right. You dance to this, but can you not? I mean, who gives a shit? You know, listen to what the band is fucking saying. You know, that's the way I've always 
I thought was that's that's the generation I come out of, you know. And Absolutely. Of course, the music the music compliments is great. It's great that you do both, but don't miss the key factor. You know, the key point. We're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more of Roger's unique story. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is Shane, the host of this podcast. And first of all, I want to thank you so much for tuning into this thing, whether it's the first time you've listened, whether you've listened to all 94 episodes, whatever we're at. It doesn't matter. Your support here really, really does mean the world to me. When I started this thing almost two years ago now, I had no idea it was going to turn into this. I have so much fun. I've made so many friends doing this thing. And you are the reason that this thing keeps going. Now, not to worry, this podcast will always, always, always be free. However, I wanted to tell you about a couple ways you could throw me a bone and help keep this thing going week after week and also help this show grow. Now, a lot of people might think I'm just the host of the show. It's actually my baby. I do pretty much everything. I have a little bit help with booking and scheduling the guests, but I do a lot of that myself. I do all the technical stuff. I record it all. I edit it all. I record all these intros. I pick all the music. I write all the questions. I mix it. I master it. I upload it. I write the descriptions. I do the graphics. I do the artwork. I run the social media. I do all of the stuff. And yes, it can be time consuming, but I really do enjoy it. But if you want to help me out, there's a couple ways you can do that. The first way is if you ever buy anything on Amazon at all, use the Lead Singer Syndrome affiliate link. Basically, just go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. It'll take you right to the Amazon homepage. And whatever you buy, I get 4 to 6% of your purchase and it costs you absolutely nothing. So if you ever buy a big ticket item, if you're going to buy a computer, if you're going to buy... I don't know, guitar, Amazon has everything. There's a reason why they're going to open a second location outside Seattle now. They're growing even more rapidly, but it really does help me out. Anything you buy, and I know some people, they do their regular shopping on Amazon. They they buy things like paper towels and and cleaning supplies and toothbrushes and (laughs) whatever else. So if you do buy anything on Amazon ever, Try to remember, I know sometimes it's hard to remember at the time, just to use that link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon, 4 to 6% of your total will go straight to me, and that does help out with keeping things going around here. Now, the second way, and this is really near and dear to my heart because we just had Cinderfest this past weekend in Texas where we had a big meetup with a bunch of the members of the All Access Club. And it was so much fun. I think we had almost 30 people. Shout out to everybody that came. We had people all the way from Sweden, from Costa Rica, from Germany, all the way from Australia. Shout out to Andre and from Canada. Shout out to myself. Shout out to Trent. And it really was an awesome time. And if you want to be a part of this show, more than just listening to it you know, every week, once a week, if you want to listen to bonus episodes, if you want to have access to this group where, trust me, you're going to make a lot of new friends, have some amazing discussions about music, about life. If you want more interaction with me, I run a Q&A every month. I play some tunes. 
And of course, Cinderfest is not a one-off. We are going to do more events like this. We're going to have more meetups all over the world. And the best part about the club is it costs as little as $6 a month. And I mean, $6 a month, you know, it really isn't too much. That's like one real nice cup of coffee, maybe a couple beers at a bar in like Iowa and like not even one beer at a bar in New York City. We also have some higher tiers as well. You can get some cool stuff like three-month patches, merch shipped to your house. Oh, that's another thing. The only way to get Lead Singer Syndrome merchandise is to be a member of the All Access Club. So please check it out. The link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Anyways, thanks for listening to me ramble about that. Let's get back to my conversation with Roger Moret. Well, that's funny. I mean, it's funny you saying that because obviously, you know, the skinhead thing, uh, a lot of people thinking you guys were like basically, uh, you know, especially now it's as relevant as ever with this, with this fucking neo-Nazi shit going on craziness. Um, but that was a big problem. A lot of people thought you were like a white supremacist band. Meanwhile, you're like, I'm Cuban, you know, it's, that's like, you talk about people not getting it. Well, that means I didn't have any help. The fact, simple fact that there was also someone else kind of bringing that full on attention to us. Um, and they, they didn't even know, I'm talking about like maximum rock and roll. They didn't even know the, the damage they were doing. Wow. It's easy to talk about stuff and accuse people of stuff and, and say stuff, but then you're safe. You're doing it all from your house and you're not there living it. And then you got to actually face sometimes these situations, which are very dangerous, you know, yeah, it's, it's, so it's easy to talk about shit, but where's the action, you know, and the action was, was what we had to live with. And um, and deal with you know and, and you know and, and it was also eighties were a very confusing time too for a lot of people. Um, music started to get conf- uh, uh, politics really started heavily hitting the scene, which was something that or the division of politics because you know obviously you know I come from a, a time where politically incorrect was correct if you know what I mean. Um, totally. You know, and then all of a sudden political correctness comes along and, and all the old punks and all the people that have been around for a while just didn't quite fucking get or understand it. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is the way punk is. You yeah. Know? Have you ever heard of the Sex Pistols, you know, or shit like that? <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, the Sex Pistols would would be a band today. They wouldn't even make a tiniest of the impact they made in 1976. In fact, the internet would fucking destroy them overnight. With, <laughs> yeah, you're you know not wrong. I mean? You're not wrong. No, I know. Uh, really? So, so there's a giant difference here. And I, and I was trying to make that clear in a book, too, also. Like, you know, like, hey, you know, back then, by the time we found out things, it wasn't like I woke up today and found out something overnight, you know? No, it took months. It took months for a record to get from England to New York. Months, three months, because it came by a damn boat you know, and very <laughs> slow and to the West coast. And, you know, it was just, it wasn't like what we have today where no. you know, overnight you hear the whole damn record. Somebody put it on the fucking internet overnight. So, you know, and it's, and, and that's how everything was back then. It was made things a little bit, um, harder for people to, to, to tune into stuff, you know, cause the last information they got was three months old or four months old by the time they got new information and, and things are changing, you know? So it was just a really different time. The eighties were a very difficult time for a lot of people and a lot of people that survived. I'm glad they did survive it. You know, a lot of people made a lot of bad choices, including myself, yeah. you know, obviously. And 
some people turn their lives around, which the, the, I look up to people that turn their lives around that, that had a, a ruthless life or weren't there altogether or went on some crazy mission that then they finally saw the light. You know, I, you got to give respect for that too, you know, because I, I, that's happened to me uh, physically and I could relate to people like that. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's funny you bring up that, you know, because, you know, you talk about Agnostic Front, you talk about Madball, you talk about all these bands. It's like, that's New York hardcore. That was a scene. That was a sound. You guys were all, you know, in the same same scene playing with each other. And like California might as well have been, have been the fucking moon, you know, back in the 80s. Yeah. And England might as well have been Mars. Like these scenes were all so separated. I think that's really hard for young people to understand. And right. and, and it was... And not only was it far away when there was a disconnect with the music, obviously music sounded different in these different places, but there was also a different way people lived, you know, Absolutely. Um, like even DC, you talk about DC hardcore and, and their, you know, moral fiber that didn't exist in New York. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And even just going to California for the first time ever. And I went yeah. to California, I'd never seen so many punk gangs in my life. Yeah, I, I, right. I mean, I mean, there's bands that they come out of like, but like, for instance, TSOL used to be the TSOL used to be a punk gang before you know, TSOL the band, you know, and <laughs> yeah. it's suicidal. You know, just think about all yeah. this stuff, you know. Absolutely. And I've never even seen anything like that until I went there, and I was like, holy shit, what the fuck is this? And that's because <laughs> we thought we were hard. <laughs> well, it's just different. Like they were living different. That was what they were doing, and and it's you, know, you could read about it here and there. But you never really got grasped it till you actually physically saw it. You're you're into fucking shit. You know what I mean? And that's how it was back then. You know, we like I said, like we had no, you know. And I would have never known if I never went to California. You know, I would have been in my own little bubble in New York City. Like you yeah. said, might as well be Mars. You know, <laughs> right. that's exactly what it was. And you know, and the only way we knew about anything is when a record would come out. Or when was some or was some kind of a scene report, or some band would come around, and we just start chatting about stuff, and you find out different little things. You're like, "Wow, I didn't know this. I didn't know that." You know, not like these kids today. They're fucking pretty much everything's at their their fingertip. It could be a little spoiling if you think about it. And but um, at the same time, it made it made those times so magical because it was so so much of the unknown that was so much it was so cool to explore where a lot of that excitement is gone now because now you, you get that everything overnight yeah. where back then you, you need to explore. It's like going in, into a cave and finding different rooms, different treasures. And it was, it was really fucking cool to be honest with you. Just buying that record and, and finding other bands was amazing. And you know, you, the only, the only worldwide web we had were, were actually actually physical letters that you wrote to other people, other bands, or you know, just find out stuff, or you know what I mean. It was sure. it was really amazing. No, absolutely no. I always think that that stuff is so interesting. You know, it's like in you know nowadays, you hear a band, and it's like, oh, you know, it used to be like even 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 in the nineties, um, you'd hear a band and you'd say, okay, I can listen to this band. I'm like, can pretty much tell, oh, they're they're probably from Southern California, or they're probably from New York, just based on based on the music, based on the way the band sounds. Now you hear a right. band, it's like, you probably just assume they're from like Ohio or something. <laughs> you know, like... Well, you know what was also great about back then is like, like every band had their own style, just like you said, their own sound. And, uh, you know, like, you, it was just amazing. Like, it was just like, 
so personal that way where all of a sudden there's a lot of bands and you know and then you don't know what bands are from anymore or nothing like that you just it takes a lot more but it's cool because you know like our, our initial intent was to get the message and our music uh, to be heard as much as possible and it, it did just do that you know but at the same time like you know it, it's easy to mimic a sound it's easy to mimic something but you know it's the hardest thing that you could ever and you can't just get is living that life you know what i mean and that was what was different you know and that's what made agnostic front stand out and stuff like that or from because we were actually you know new, the new york hardcore bands or some of the grittier cities that like san francisco bands yeah. that you could listen to those sounds and they're a little gritty a little ugly and that's because life was a little uglier uh, you know, yeah, it's amazing. In some of these places, I'm not saying it wasn't in L.A. because it sure as hell was. Yeah, but there, there were, there was were different. It was they're very gang territorial, very suburban, as opposed to very urban. You know, yeah, and it's just different sound. You know, absolutely, um, absolutely. Uh, one of the things in your book that that really struck me um, as as, as a, cra- a crazy thing to go through uh, was basically raising your kid, you know, basically in a squ- in a squat in New York City, um, which I guess was was what ended up stemming, you know, into you know your problems with with being incarcerated. But but that part of the book is so is so striking to me and it's so real. Um, can you walk me through that just that time in your life? Because I, I found that that was one of the real the parts of your book that really jumped out at me. Which part again? I'm sorry. The, just the part when you, about how you ra- you were raising you know a child basically in a squat you know in yeah. New York City. Well, you know what? As dangerous as crazy as it really was, and it sounds, I don't know. It was kind of safe because uh, it was a safe haven for me. It's weird. I don't, I don't know how to explain. It. Same same with you know bringing my brother, who was at the time six years old, the first time ever, and staying with me in those circumstances, you know, taking them from a, at that point, a suburban home in Florida and bringing them into the jungle. Right. But believe it or not, the jungle was safer because he didn't have to go through the abuse I had to go through. Yeah. That's the main reason why I wanted to keep him safe. And so you would be surprised at how much safer it was for a lot of us. Cause a lot of us, when we came together, we were all like a bunch of misfits, a bunch of out- outcasts, you know, uh, from troubled, mostly from troubled families. And the only thing that we found comforting was be, being together and going to our, these shows together. And we naturally became some kind of a tribe, you know, you know what I mean? Like we felt we needed to protect each other and we did family, those family matters, those family instances, stuff I talk about today were very strong and personal and, and, you know, gave us that tribe feeling you know and we protected each other and that had the same feeling with raising my family in the squats because i knew i was amongst other people yeah and i was i was kind of like that lion that whole time and we knew what we were doing we just think you know it's different when you don't and you throw yourself in a line of danger because you just are not you're not in tune with it and i've always been in tune with it you know what i mean and that makes the difference you know it's like Street smart, I guess, is the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. So, um, you know, it's funny because I'm I'm young, a lot younger than you. You know, I'm only 36, like I said. And the first time I heard Agnostic Front, I was about 17 years old, and it was on the Something's Got to Give record. And you know, you guys okay. came out, and it was kind of like your comeback. Uh, you know, okay. on Epitaph Records, and there had been a lot of um, 
you know, uh, punk rock, I guess, had gotten big in the mainstream, you know, with like Green Day and mm-hmm. Offspring and those bands had, had blown up. And it was like right. all of a sudden, Hardcore Legends, Agnostic Front have a new record. And, and the first song I ever heard by you guys was, was Gotta Go. Um, what was that like for you? Um, basically having this comeback and having just seeing punk all of a sudden be so mainstream. Um, was that something that you you appreciated, you thought was cool, or was it like just not the same as, as like, you know, the victim in pain years? No, I mean, look, I've always said, if you turn on the radio or whatever, wouldn't you rather hear Rancid, Offspring, Green Day, than half the shit they play anyway, you know? so Absolutely, And yeah. you know what? What's more important than all, than all of this is that people are quick to turn their backs on, on, on and I've seen it happen earlier. I mean, don't... I mean, didn't The Clash go through this? You know, like I was there when The Clash went through it. I was there when London Calling came out. I was that I was that snotty punk kid that hated London Calling. It took me a long time to like London Calling. I thought they sold out. <laughs> it took me a very. It took me two decades maybe to like that fucking record because <laughs> I fucking loved the first, you know, the first two Clash records. And then I realized, you know, I gave it. I went back and revisited. I was like, fucking lyrically, it's, it's the same fucking, they, these bands never change what they were meaning to say. The music would have changed as part of growth. And you know, I, I experienced that myself with Agnostic Front. Right. And then when I go back and see, and, and I was like, man, you know, it's, ignorance is, is you know, it's, we all have a little ignorance, we all have a little bit of ego we have to deal with within each other. And, and I started to see a lot of this stuff, you know, as I got older, you know, I checked myself in a lot of stuff and going back to what you just said, you know, these bands have always stayed true. It's not their fault. It's really not their fault. They had major success. That no, no. People, that a lot of people like their songs. Jesus, that's amazing. You know, that they wrote something passionately that they about their lives or something. And, and they, their life has always been passionate and dedicated to punk. And it's not there for a lot of people like it. And it's weird, I guess, being one of those bands and going through it. But most of those bands have remained true to their roots, you know, and they're giving people a lot of things to think about, which regular radio music totally avoids. And they don't want you to think. The last thing they want is anybody to think for themselves. They want everything <laughs> to be dominated by the MTV or or the whatever huge record labels, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So these 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 bands, you know, not knowing what it's what was going on, it was an explosion. But for some reason, you know, it was kind of a trinkle also off of the Nirvana situation. Ah, oh, right, yes. The whole let's um, not forget that. Let's not forget the whole grunge thing. I guess it trickled down because a lot of these all of a sudden we went from all these hair rock giants to this grunge thing, which. Uh, which then all the grunge bands, of course, started talking about all the bands they were in, their past bands, and, and where they come from, which is more like hardcore right. punk. Right. And then, then that's the next thing that happened. You know, like people, those fans started, oh, shit, what's this? That's and, right, yeah. You know, that's, it was a trickle-down. A lot of people don't, don't no, see that. No, no, it's know? actually not really talked about very much at all. I mean, you think about, like, Dave Grohl, you know? I mean, he right. was a hard, hard mean, DC shit. hardcore kid, you know? Yeah, I mean, exactly. And I played, I played with Dave Grohl. I mean, I didn't play with him. I remember doing shows in Rhode Island was the last time we played together, if I remember, when he <laughs> yeah. was in screen playing drums, you know? Yeah. So these are all people that we grew up together with 
getting a little bit of success and, and, and at the same time in shock. Let me get, let me tell you, like I know these bands personally and they had to deal with shock. They didn't know what to think of it. A lot of these bands wanted to fight it because it wasn't their, it wasn't what it was. You know, it's, it, I felt the same way. I've never thought that punk was a stadium thing. I, I've never been right. to it. The only stadium rock show I ever went to was the clash at Shea stadium, 19, I think it was 1982. And I went to go see the Clash, and it was uh, the Who was playing too. And I was one of those ignorant punk kids that walked out after the Clash. I was one of those cool ignorant punk yeah, kids, yeah, yeah. and I've never seen the Who. And to this day, I regret it. The second time right. the Who went to play, I was locked up, and I saw it in the papers in prison. I was like, "Fuck!" And right. that was it, you know. Right, but, but I mean, anyway, yeah, a lot of these bands didn't even know what was happening or didn't know how to deal with it. You know, it's and look what happened to, uh, what's his name, from Nirvana, uh, Kurt yeah. Nirvana, you know? Kurt Cobain, yeah. Yeah, he just, that was total shocking. He just didn't know how to accept it. But, you know, the, the music was very genuine, and very sincere, and yeah, it's not you're their right. fault that the media grasped to it, man. Oh, and, no. You know, a lot of people are quick to, like, mm, you know, attack but they should think about stuff, you know. No, I I totally agree with you. I just I guess I guess my question for you is just the way you grew up, you know, with you know New York City hardcore, uh, CBGBs, all that. All of a sudden, it's 1998. You put out a record on Epitaph, which has has the Offspring, has Rancid, has these these bands that are getting played on MTV and are getting huge. And I mean, maybe not playing stadiums, but playing big clean venues some of them are like in the suburbs you know yeah like what was that like for you were you like this isn't punk rock like this is not what i know or were you like no nah, this is cool i guess that's my question well no because a lot of my also h2o was on uh yeah h2o yeah, yeah. i mean and i knew brett it wasn't it wasn't that <coughs> sorry it didn't feel that way to me because understand also this a lot of those bands were also west coast bands yeah and and most of the for, you know, most of the West Coast bands have always been a lot more popular and have always had a lot more success. The West Coast has got this different thing than the East Coast. Yeah. East Coast is a little bit dirtier uh, and kind of not, you know, West for some, you know, like, it's just different, you know. I just and, and the music scene on the West Coast has always been a lot bigger. It really has been, you know. Oh, really. Like, if you think of all the bands from the West Coast and how much bigger it is in the east coast with the exception of your dropkick murphy's nowadays you know right right that's a rarity and um so to me i was in a band with my my peers you know my friends i was with a band with the bouncing souls i, was, I mean on the label with the bouncing souls with yeah. h2o and and rancid and and even offspring i didn't really know how much it would i didn't really get to know what it was going to become yeah you know, i was kind of living in it you know but not knowing to me, I never thought it was going to direct. It was directly going to affect me. If you, if, if it's probably the best way to put it. Cause, yeah. You know, our music. I've always said, Agnostic Front has always been the true aborted child of punk. You know, because <laughs> I mean, music's ugly. It's not pretty, and it's really not poppy or not really meant for the masses. I guess it's, it is what it is. No, no. But you know? I think that 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 epitaph. You know, that machine, that '90s punk, whatever yeah. Green Day offspring machine. That actually really helped, you know, a lot of kids, including myself, go back oh, and find out those records. Like I didn't know, I wouldn't know "Victim in Pain" or "Cause for Alarm." Like I wouldn't oh, know absolutely. those records if I didn't hear, you know, you guys on a punkorama comp 
Like that's just being well, real. That's what, you know? I, that's what I try to explain to a lot of people. Like a lot of people think, you know, not everybody was born with tattoos <laughs> and, and sure. cool parents. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. And and then they treat you like when you when like those first kids, like when you go to these like these walk tours. And they talk shit on the on the kids from that. They go to that music store in the mall. I forgot what it was called. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and but they don't understand that you know that was maybe you at once in your life. You know, and you need to somehow you discover like maybe you, maybe it was your Green Day. Green Day is huge now. Maybe you went to Green Day and you saw Degeneration, and wow, that was your change. Or you went to a festival. You went to the Warp and Warp tour to see. Uh, the offspring, uh, uh, sure. The uh, yeah, offspring, and then all of a sudden you saw Madball, you yeah. saw Sick of It All, and that's how that's that's how it works. It doesn't mean that you don't like the offspring anymore, blah blah blah. But now you discover something, you're moving around, and you're finding something that you you feel is more of a direct contact to you. It may never even appeal to you. You may hate Agnostic Front, Sick of It All, <laughs> uh, Madball, which is true, and you still love the offspring. There's nothing wrong with it, but yeah, some you know it's ignorant to think that. And that's what happens generally, like, you know, yeah. these are the uncool kids and these are the cool kids, and that's retarded. It's just straight up. <laughs> no, it's dumb, funny, and, you know? and I've spoken a lot of that on the show, like, I went to my first Warp Tour in 1997, I went to see Lagwagon and Pennywise, and the first band I saw, I walked in, the first band I saw was Sick of It All. At, right. at Warp Tour, nineteen ninety seven, and they did it this year. So, and what was your impression? I thought it was the sickest thing ever. I was like, "This band is right." I, I looked so, up at the and stage, you would have and never I never known unless you went to that damn Warp Tour to go see who you went to go see. And that's what I mean. No, I, if you got, and, I, and that's that innocent mind that you had, an innocent like creativity that you wanted to learn, learn, learn that like we had back then, but we had only records to do that shit with. That's right. No, I, I looked up on really this. Really cool. I looked up on the stage and I saw Pete, and I was like. That's the craziest looking motherfucker I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, and it's funny in the forward of your book, even Jamie Jasta uh, talks about like, there was like, a, a, you know, you had a tattoo on uh, uh, on the, you know, on the back cover of your record or whatever it was. And he's like, I need to hear this band. Like, this is crazy shit. You know, it's just wild. You know, how, how you know, even Jamie Jasta was, was a little... You know, yeah. was a little kid, right? Right, and now he's, you know, now he's this hate breed machine. Right. It's it's crazy, you know. Exactly, and you know, like you were going back to some of the stuff you were talking about earlier about all the bad publicity and bad stuff, and also, you know, bad publicity is sometimes as good or better than good publicity, right? Because it got people to go out. Hey, let me go see this agnostic front band. Let me see what they're all about. And next, you know, we have big crowds, and then they're like, <laughs> "Holy shit, this band's cool! Best thing I ever did. I had a great time." Right, and then and they realize, and then they realize you're not a racist band. You're right. actually, you're actually it, I, uplifting. I said, as long as they, as long as they spell the name right, you know. <laughs> oh, that's always a challenge. Bad publicity works a good. Pl- <laughs> I'll deal with the people directly in front of me, and uh, you know, but it is what it is, you know. Absolutely, man. No, I know I got to let you go. I know you got another um, interview after this, but I want to thank you so much for your time uh, uh, for doing this. It's, it's really great to talk to you. Um, what's going on next for you? Obviously, the book is coming out. I assume you're doing some book you know, signings and stuff, um, and then are you doing some shows with Agnostic Front? What's, what's going on? Uh, what's coming up? Yeah, well, people? where are you located at now? I'm in Toronto. Oh, Toronto. So we're going to be near you, but not really near you. We're going to be in Buffalo for Oh, that's pretty close, yeah. Yeah, show book signing thing where I do both in September. What I what we we're also celebrating our thirty fifth year anniversary. Nice, Gnostic Front is congratulations. And so we're doing a, a little combination of thirty five year anniversary con- uh, and celebration of the book. So it's kind of cool. Just a couple selected dates, and one of those is going to be in Buffalo 
in September, I believe. So cool. if you get a chance to make it come down, if you get the book, bring it down. You know, I'll, I'll be doing some book signings, whatever, at the shows and meeting people. But that's what's next, pretty much. Um, the journey of our 35-year anniversary, the celebration of my book, and then the grand finale of the film, hopefully by the end of the year. And um, I think that'll, that calls for a really great year for us, you know? The only oh. thing that could top it all off would be a new album, but hey, one thing at a time, <laughs> you know? Well, and hey, uh, All the best, man. Congratulations on the book. Congratulations you, on the movie if coming out. Mind, if you don't mind, plug, plug, uh, plug all the Agnostic Front like it got from Facebook, uh, my personal Roger Moret, that my Instagram, um, to people staying connected with us or lesser gods books.com. That's all important networking nowadays. Absolutely. As saw, we just spoke about it, you know, but it is what it is, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, yes, man. No, thank you. I, I will definitely put a link to your book and a link to all the stuff so everybody can check it out. Roger, thank you so much. Um, enjoy your morning out in Arizona and, uh, yeah, stay cool, man. Thank you, man. Yeah, take care. Take care. So there it is with Roger. What a guy. What a life. He's doing so well out in Arizona right now. Shout out to him and his wife. Um, And his book is out now. So go pick it up. My Riot, Agnostic Front, Grit, Guts, and Glory. It is not to be missed. Next week, I will be back with an all-new episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. We're getting close to the 100-episode mark. Some big things planned once we hit triple digits. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. Please, please subscribe to this thing. If you like the show, write a review on iTunes. And of course, if you want to get in touch, it's real easy. We're on all the social medias, Lead Singer Syndrome. Pretty much just search for it in whatever. It'll pop right up. And if you want to email me, I do read all of my email. I'm not great at getting back, but I do read it all. It is leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I'm out of here. I'm going to leave you with a tune. I'm going to talk about that song, Gotta Gotta Go, or Gotta Go, I guess it's called, which was basically the agnostic front comeback. So here it is, Gotta Go on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. See you next week. From